application of God's word to our lives. And so it's important that we note that. And so in the first three chapters, being doctrinal, um, they are specifically related to sitting. And uh, our brother read it this morning in his text, uh, John, when he was in, uh, in the worship, when he said, we've been seated with Christ, Ephesians 2, verse 6, seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so this is, um, this is extremely significant to understand that we've been raised with Christ and um, we have been raised with him and we are seated in heavenly places. This is reflective of the work of salvation that Christ has done and has completed and us by faith, uh, by grace through faith have appropriated that salvation and now we sit with Christ. We are seated with him. And how glorious it is. Paul's prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians was that we would uh, come to understand and be filled with the knowledge and wisdom and the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that our eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And he wanted us to know that which is ours in Christ and this is the reason why, and my motivation this morning, as I continue to minister in these lines. We looked lastly, this is just refreshing ourselves quickly, but we did look lastly, because now it was two weeks ago, so again we just bring ourselves into focus at the end of chapter 2, where Paul made the emphasis about the Jews and the Gentiles. And because there are two groups in the world, there's the Jew... And the Jew being significant in relation to God's chosen people of Israel and anyone that's not a Jew is a Gentile and, um, and all Gentiles uh, have been incorporated into the plan and purpose of God that is in Christ Jesus and in Christ the Jew and the Gentile are brought together as one body. This is the believing Jew. The believing Jew and Gentile is brought into one body and that is the, uh, the various um, um, uh, expressions of the, the church, the bride of Christ, and Paul referred to it in chapter 2 as the household of God, or even says again in, uh, in verse 21, the temple of the Lord. And these are the various expressions that are related to this one body. And it's a privileged position that we have now as believing Gentiles, as Christians in Christ Jesus, and our relationship to Christ and our relationship to the Jew. And so we're going to consider now the chapter 3 and that which relates and is contained within the doctrine of Christ. And again, I cannot emphasise the issue of sitting enough. Sit. Keep this in mind, especially as we move towards the later part of chapter 3. Sitting in Christ because the, these three chapters are dealing with exclusively teaching us about a position that we have, a position or a privileged position that we possess as Christians who, who are now in Christ Jesus. The Bible clearly says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation and old things have passed away and all things have become Behold, it says, Behold, all things have become new. And this newness of life, this new position that we are, are, are in in Christ Jesus is something to behold. 
It is something to see. It is something to know. And it is something to possess. Amen. And this is why Paul is writing this particular letter to the church at Ephesus. We're dealing with spiritual things here, church. And we must understand that the Christian life is spiritual. We are not of this world. We are born again. We are, uh, we are, uh, uh, have, are partakers of the divine nature. We are in the world, but we are not of it. Amen? We belong to another. Physically, we're in the world, but spiritually speaking, we have nothing to do with it. We are seated in heavenly places. This life is spiritual. This life is Christ. And so on this journey of faith, the Bible tells us that we're pilgrims and sojourners. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We're looking to that which is to come. And what a day it will be. But in the present, what is important for us is our identity in Christ Jesus. Our identity and position in Christ Jesus that must be understood. Because failure to, to uh, be, if we're ignorant of this truth, Failure to appropriate this truth for the Christian can result in um, the Christian never really uh, 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 obtaining that which the inheritance that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And it can, it can result in a number of things. It can result in one never feeling fully secure in Christ. One never feel, uh, being, um, uh, 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 having a fear that may be present. You know, uh, has God really accepted me? Have I done enough? You know, there's all these concepts that can come into the Christian life uh, that brings, uh, makes us feel insecure and fearful. And this is what the devil wants to do, amen? He wants to undermine your, what Christ has done for us and for you and I and he doesn't want to ent- us to enter into that rest. He doesn't want us to know what it is to sit in Christ. He wants us to feel like we have to do more and we've got to keep doing more and more to be accepted. But that's not how it works, amen? We are seated. We are already accepted. This is our position in Christ Jesus. And so in light of that, let's proceed to read Ephesians chapter 3 and let's look at the glorious truths that it contains. Let's read the chapter um, as a whole, actually. Let's read it through. Verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as um, I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, whom less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul is building obviously from the end of chapter 2 where he's introduced this concept of a one man, of a new body consisting of Jew and Gentile. Remember the whole Old Testament predominantly built, is built around Israel and the purposes of God that will come forth that relate to Israel, the Messiah that is coming and the plan and purposes of God. Now Paul the Apostle is writing to the Ephesians and he's giving them an understanding of God's purpose and the the Gentile relationship to Christ now that we are in Christ and also to the believing Jew, the believing Jew because we are all one in Christ Jesus. And he refers to, as I said before, a household, a temple. But you see, predominantly, this is best understood by commonly what we know as the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a building with some crucifix that's hanging off it, with stained glass windows. The church this morning is the people of God. That is the church. And this is the very thing that Paul is talking about uh, and all the synonyms of, uh, we use, uh, the bride of Christ, the household of God, a holy temple, all one body, all of these things are representative of one and the same and that is the church of Jesus Christ of which we are a part of. Now the church, Paul tells us in chapter 3, was a mystery. Now listen to this, the church was a mystery to the Old Testament uh, to those uh, of the children of Israel who did not fully have a grasp or had no concept of the ultimate plan and purpose of God. uh, Israel was waiting for the promised Messiah, they could see certain things in 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 the prophecies of the Old Testament So they were looking for uh, the Messiah to come to free free them politically and for the Messiah to take up the throne of David and rule and reign. They weren't expecting Christ to come to suffer and die, the suffering servant of Isaiah as we know. And more than that, uh, they did not understand God's ultimate plan to bring the Gentiles into the blessing and purposes of God. These are the things that were going to come about. That's what happened in the book of Acts, didn't it? When Peter uh, had the vision and God sent him to Cornelius and all those things begin to unveil themselves. The gospel was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But you see, the church was something that was always in the plan and purpose of God. 
right from before the foundation of the world, God had in mind that which we now call the church. And it was something that was a mystery. But it is a mystery that has been now revealed. It has been made known. It was, it was there in the Old Testament. We see it now through various things as we look back. But at the time it was something that was concealed. In the New Testament it was revealed. And Jesus himself introduced it when he said to Peter, upon this rock, the revelation that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. And there we find the first reference to this phrase in the New Testament and in incorporating prophetically what Jesus had in mind in the purpose and plan of God. And we understand this. The New Testament clearly reveals this mystery and Paul writes about it in this particular um, uh, text of chapter 3 as he talks about the church. The mystery that has been revealed, Christ in us. We in Christ. You know, Colossians 1.27 says that the mystery is being revealed, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The church, the temple, Christ in you and me. We in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the church. So Paul says in verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul the he calls himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because Paul, was, uh, when he was Saul, was on the Acts, Acts chapter 9, he, was, he, he faced and had an encounter with Jesus Christ and that so radically changed him. And what did God say to Ananias? He said, go, lay hands on him and pray for him because he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. See, God, that's why Paul says, I'm a prisoner. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to the purpose of God because God has, uh, has ordained me for a specific purpose and a ministry that is unto the Gentiles. So because for this reason, verse 1, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, I am indebted, I am called by God, I am, my ministry is centred and focused to you Gentiles. Peter was, as Paul would say, was the apostle to the Jews, even though Peter was the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But Paul was specifically set aside by God for this purpose, to bring the full knowledge and revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He was a chosen vessel. In verse 3, he goes further and he says, How that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already. How by revelation. You see, this is not some intellectual concept this morning. This is not Paul philosophizing about life. Oh, let's, have a, let's philosophize about the scriptures. No, this has got nothing to do with human reasoning, human intellect. It is purely based on revelation. And Paul says, I have received what I'm giving to the Gentiles, what I teach and the knowledge that I possess is something that was given to me by God by the way of revelation. God revealed it to him. 
And if you understand the story of Paul, it wasn't something that just happened overnight. In actual fact, turn with me in Galatians chapter 1, because Paul gives us a clear indication. In verse 11, he talks about his call to apostleship, and he says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I, which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. came through the revelation. And he goes on to talk about uh, various other aspects uh, that relate to himself and God's purpose in God calling him to the Gentiles. And in verse 17 he says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. Actually, verse 16, he says, uh, I might preach among him, that is, I might preach among him the, the gent, uh, sorry, that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, as, as God was revealing these wonderful truths of God's knowledge, plan, purpose for the Gentiles, Paul says, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood. This was contrary to everything he had understood. It was contrary to the whole bias and perception that they had. And so, but yet he understood because God would reveal it to him, he would reveal the various scriptures and he was showing him and he understood it and he had a clear understanding and the mystery that Paul's referring to in Ephesians has now been revealed to Paul, the apostle. And his ministry is to make known that mystery to the church and Gentiles as well, I mean Jews as well as Gentiles, but predominantly Gentiles. He says in verse 4, by which when you read, uh, Sam was talking about how sometimes Peter writes about Paul and the way he writes about these things, they can be hard to understand and people misinterpret them. And so it is. But Paul, it says in verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. You may understand the knowledge that I have that's been revealed to me. I will reveal it to you through the Spirit of God. He says in verse 5, in which other ages was not made known to the sons of men. It wasn't made known then. It was a mystery. It was concealed but it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister. And that Spirit works effectively, he says in verse 7, through me for this purpose. You see, again, we're identifying... Uh, the, the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it actually is. Amen. When we say, thank God that Jesus died on the cross and we can be forgiven of our sins and inherit eternal life. But there is so much more that is to be revealed and understood in relation to this. He says some very interesting things as he proceeds in verse from verse 9. He talks about the fact that um, <clears throat> obviously that the mystery has been revealed but he then talks about the purpose of that mystery. And so if I can bring your attention to verse 10 as we just kind of move through this. 
Actually, we'll read verse 8 and 9 just to make context. To me, whom less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That we as Gentiles have become partakers and recipients of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the exceeding riches of God. They're ours, church. And so... He says in verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent, so here's the purpose, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. See, this is phenomenal. You see, uh, you have to understand what's being said here. See, the Bible is clearly teaching us something that the intent of this mystery being revealed is that God would reveal uh, his intention and through the manifold wisdom of God, God had in mind that he was going to bring forth not only the Christ, uh, but ultimately he was going to bring forth and give birth to the church, which incorporated us as Gentiles. He says here, in something interesting, he says that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So in the heavens that they, they don't understand the ultimate plan and purpose of God and it is unto them being revealed as it goes along and they're seeing it. That's why in uh, 1 Peter um, chapter 1 it talks about the purpose of Christ which was not fully understood but was fully uh, uh, contained in the Old Testament, the prophecies. But the Bible says that it's something that angels desire to look into, that they desire to understand. And yet, when we talk about the principalities and powers as well, we're talking about, the, uh, as, as they are referred to in Ephesians 6, uh, they, we're talking about spiritual hosts of wickedness because they too did not understand in crucifying the Lord. They had no understanding that they were, what they were in themselves facilitating and ultimately, uh, through Christ, giving birth to the church on the day of Pentecost and the... the um, the plan and purpose of God being made manifest, the wisdom of God. I'll give you an example. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Now Paul writes and he says, now we're talking about the manifold wisdom of God that has been revealed. And it says in verse 6, however, Paul says, we speak wisdom. Because we, uh, uh, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers, sorry, um, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom by which God ordained before the ages for our glory. You see, when we talk about these things as we are this morning, you know what? The world has absolutely no concept of what we're talking about. To them, it's just like a different language. We might as well be talking in, in some foreign language uh, uh, because they have no comprehension of what is 
is it that we're talking about? Yet the Bible says we are talking about the, the hidden wisdom of God and how glorious it is. In verse 8 it says, By none, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now this is obviously talking about the, during the time of Christ had the, had the rulers of this age understood the purpose of God, they would never have sought to crucify the Lord but it can also transcend that because had the principalities and powers themselves known, they wouldn't have infused and influenced the religious leaders to kill Christ. But yet they were moving right into the, in, in, moving into the very plan and purpose of God. They were fulfilling God's will and purposes and ultimately was to come forth they thought that they were, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that by his resurrection he triumphed, triumphed, hallelujah, over them and made a public spectacle of them. And you see Christ rose from the dead, hallelujah, and this gave birth and made way for the church. And so when the, the, the principalities and powers observe now the church of Jesus Christ, they are seeing the wisdom of God the manifold wisdom of God that is being made known to the principalities and powers by the church. They look at the church and God's plan in and through the church and they begin to understand what God is doing. That's phenomenal. And that also relates to that which is future and is to come, amen, as it relates to the purposes of God. So we see this. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said to um, the, the Pharisees, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Because Jesus knew exactly the temple which was, was himself. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the, by, through the church to the principalities and powers of darkness and the gates of hell will not prevail because God's will will prevail, amen? Jesus Christ will triumph and we in Christ, we are always led to triumph. We have the victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith in Christ is, is, is what holds us. So let's move further. Let's go to verse 14. See, Paul says, For this reason, in light of the mystery, in light of the unsearchable riches of Christ, in light of the church, which you and I are now a part of as Gentiles, and in all the manifold wisdom of God, Paul says in verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that Paul is in awe. Something that was totally, and this was truth, was revealed to him by God. And when he saw it for what, he, what it was, when his eyes were opened and he saw the purpose of God and the manifold wisdom of God, Paul, for this reason I bow my knee unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You are such a mighty God. What an awesome God. Paul's in awe 
and he bows his knee unto the Lord Jesus, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What else can one do? And he says, now I, I, I want you to quickly shift, I want you to think, sit, okay? Sitting in Christ. In verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You see, we are in Christ. We are sealed and secure. The Bible says that being in Christ, in verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, we are part of the family of God. This is a very important concept for us to grasp and understand because the church is a body. The church in all of its representations as a bride. The church, amen, is a family. And this family is, uh, uh, this word in, uh, in the Greek comes uh, from a word that simply means a paternal descent. And we have all been born of God. We have all been born again by the Spirit. We have all been baptised by the Spirit into one body. And we are uh, partakers all of the divine nature and therefore, amen, we have all one Father and we are one body and we are one in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter what your nationality is, physically speaking, it is irrelevant in the sense that in Christ Jesus uh, we are all one. You're my brother and si- brothers and sisters. So you don't look like my brother or sister. <laughs> But that's what we are. We're a brethren. That's what, this is why, personally, I don't groove on, and I'll say this out loud, I don't groove on you know, having churches that just specify for specific nationalities and cultures. Because it undermines the very purpose of God. I, the church, and I, I, I'm saying that it's, it's so wonderful that we can sit in here, and I don't know how many nationalities that are amongst us even now, but I can tell you by looking at you, I can see a few. And that's, that, that is beautiful, it's glorious, because it enables something of, of that oneness that is, is, is in the spirit that, that we can observe amongst us. But we're part of the family of God, the whole family has been named. And what a, what a privilege it is. You know, for some, the church family is even more important than their natural family. Some don't even have that, 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 that network and strength of a natural family. You know, families break down. Families can be destroyed. Fa- things happen. And, and then you, you, a Christian gets saved. And the Bible says in Psalm 68 verse 6 that God sets the solitary in family. And that we are part of the corporate church, we're part of a local body and we are part of the family of God and those relationships that we forge and that, that, that knitting of hearts, that is special. That's a family. Because you know what? Thank God if you have a, a, your family is such that it is, uh, it's close-knitted, God bless you. But you know what? There are many, many, many that don't have that at all. And the, the church family is their family. In a, in, a, in a literal sense and the spiritual sense. So we have these. We are the, fa- the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So this is why we can sit. We're all, we're all one. 
We are in Christ. We're part of the family of God. But you see, it is love that Paul is about to touch upon primarily. And really, when it comes to God, the Bible says that God is love. And it is something that we must come to understand and experience in ourselves because love is, is what we were created for, for God. There's something about love that, that, uh, that's, that's, that uh, liberates the soul, that satisfies the soul. The love of God. And this, is, this love is something that Paul wants us to understand. Remember, in the context of being seated with Christ, we have to be, as the scripture shares with us, perfected in God's love. Because when we are not perfected in God's love, then there are, there are, there are, there's vulnerabilities that are associated with that. There are things that can come forth from that and our fear and our insecurities and, and a whole array of things that are, uh, God wants to dispel because perfect love casts out fear. And so we have these things that uh, love brings about a sense of identity, a sense of belonging. So Paul, uh, so Paul here says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Now what I want you to understand now is Paul is, is praying. This is his second prayer to the Ephesians. He prayed in chapter 1 that they would know that their eyes would be open, that they would have the knowledge that he has through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's praying that they would know. But now, after expressing what he has expressed in these chapters, he now prays again and this time he's praying that, that the, the church would have, that we would possess, that we would not just know it, but we would possess it for ourselves. And this is important for the Christian, that we would possess. And when we talk about possessing, we're talking about possessing Christ. Amen. And so, uh, and so Paul is praying for the church, he's praying in a sense for you and I, that we as Gentiles would come to a full grasp and one, a full understanding, but then a full appropriation, a full grasp of possession of that which is ours in Christ. Because this doesn't always happen. This is where Christians can fall short. And I know I did for many years until the Lord revealed it to me and then by faith I began to possess these things uh, for myself. And I tell you, the liberty and the transformation it brings in the human heart. So, he says that God would grant you to, uh, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now again, here's this phrase, the inner man. You see, again, we're referring to the spirit. We are just outwardly flesh, but inside us there's a soul and there's a spirit. And this is the inner man. And the inner man has to be built up into Christ. You see, when we become Christians, we are born into Christ, we have received an inheritance, but that doesn't mean we've possessed the inheritance. 
By faith we have to take ground in Christ. We grow and we mature and we are being strengthened in the inner man. Amen. So no longer we begin to realise now there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We begin to, uh, uh, by faith, begin to go, grow in confidence and boldness because we understand that the, what the blood represents. We understand the grace of God. We understand the cross uh, in such a significant way so we don't have to feel insecure. Has God really forgiven me of my sins? Absolutely. How can you be so sure? Because God has said it and I believe it and I have received it for myself. I don't say it arrogantly because as our brother said, we don't boast in ourselves. Our boast is in Christ who has done it all. And for us to speak otherwise is to undermine what he has done. That's why all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. That's why we can shout amen. And hallelujah to these things. The inner man has to grow. The inner man, but this this growth, Paul says, is this. The inner man must be strengthened through the Holy Spirit. So again, I'm just a vessel. I can only preach the powers in the Word of God. Amen. The power is the Spirit of God. And as these truths are declared, as the Word is taught, the Spirit of God takes them and He makes them real to every individual. And He reveals things and He speaks to us individually based on the situation of our lives and circumstances. And all of a sudden, it's like, I see it. My eyes have been opened. I mean, I've sat in the pew all this time and I've never understood that. No, because it was never based on your understanding, doopy. It was based, God, now open your eyes and you're like, wow, that's a revelation. And that revelation liberates and it strengthens the inner man and you grow in stature and you grow into Christ. That's what Paul will talk about later in chapter 4. And this is the growth of the inner man, the, 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 the maturity and maturing of the inner man. And this is all to do with the spirit. See, that's, that's the sad thing is, this is why Paul's praying this, is because there are Christians that can live in a prolonged state of weakness. That's why in Hebrews it says, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. That which is dislocated can be healed. Because so many Christians can live in a dislocated state. They can live with, in a, in, 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 and settle in a way, manner of life that is not what God has for them. It's not what God intended. It's not the way God has planned it for you. And they, and they fail to appropriate these things. And so they, they, they live with, for years with broken hearts that have never been healed. Are you with me? And yet, and, and though uh, that's not the way it is, it's not the way it should be. It's not the way God has intended it. And so, the inner man must be strengthened. And the inner man comes to a full assurance of faith. The inner man comes with a boldness and confidence to be able, and doesn't waver in unbelief. More than, more than that, the, 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 the inner man is strengthened to such, the Bible tells us, uh, that he, know, he has power and dominion over sin. That sin shall no longer have dominion over you. But in, uh, but in Christ, uh, through the spirit of grace uh, and through his power, you shall not, uh, sin shall not rule over you, but you shall rule over it. 
There's a dominion that comes through the inner man. And this is all part of the Christian experience. We learn to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Now verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. So you think about this concept of sitting. Rooted and grounded in love. Seated in Christ. Perfected in God's love. See, this is why we have to learn to sit. This is why Paul would write to, in Romans and he would say um, that if God is for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors in, through Christ Jesus. Why? Through him who loved us. God's love is so strong. If the, to not, the God is love and to understand his love is to understand that he can take a wretched, miserable sinner and he can put us in himself and then take uh, he who bore our sin for us is Christ that we might become the righteousness of Christ, God in him and the position is such, amen, that if God is for us, who can be against us? We've been made more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and more than that, uh, the scripture tells us again in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when you begin to understand that and you begin to by faith appropriate that for yourself, I tell you, it'll change your Christian experience. It'll change your relationship to God. It'll change the way that you go from day to day. So rather than living under a cloud like this, you begin to get up and you rejoice in God and you speak of God's goodness and God's grace. Because you know what? I say, how dare you speak like that? Don't you know who you were? How can you be like that? Because you know why? Because of God. Jesus Christ did that, that I am forgiven. I've been set free. Perfected in the love of God. Listen to what it says. Rooted and grounded in love, verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. You know who the fullness of God is? Or what the fullness of God is? It's Christ. Christ. It's so simple, church. The fullness of Christ, the fullness of God is Christ. Colossians talks about in Him we are complete. There's nothing else you need. There's nothing else you should desire. You have Christ, you have everything. Amen? Christ is the fullness of God. And that's why John the Apostle of love, as we would know him in the Scriptures, he would write in, in his epistle in John chapter 4 and in, he would say in verse 17, he says these words, he talks about the consummation of our love in Christ. He says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen to that. Love has been perfected that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. So on the day of judgment, when I stand before God, I don't have to go there bearing guilt. I don't have to go there being ashamed. The Bible says that I can have a boldness, amen, because I will see my Saviour, the one who saved me. 
And so God doesn't want us to come into his presence all mopey. He wants us to come into his presence rejoicing, hallelujah, in adoration and love for what he has done. He, we love him because he first loved us. This is exactly what he says. Listen, he says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. In love there is no fear. When you are perfected in God's love, when you are rooted and grounded in God's love, when you know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, the depth, the width, the height, the length, fear has no place in your heart. Can you say amen? Because fear involves torment. It undermines your confidence. It undermines God's love in your heart and it always wants to make you feel like you're not worthy, you're insecure, you're not good enough. How can I be accepted? No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. He who fears has not been made perfect in love, is what John says. And so, this love is not some sentimental feeling you know, I see my, some of my kids, they listen to music and some of the trash that they... I can't help but listen to lyrics when I listen to music and what the lyrics are saying. And they all sing about love and they've got no idea what love is. They think it's some, you know, I, oh, we felt this way, it was good, it was wonderful, it was this and that. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. Love is a choice. God says, I love you. You say, I don't deserve to be loved by God. God says, I love you anyway because of who I am. Love is a choice. It's an act of the will. And when we look at God's love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, how can we say that he doesn't love me? How can we not have that confidence? How can we not have that boldness? This whole book screams to us assurance. Screams to us that a God that has loves us and has forgiven us and has accepted us and sanctified us. That's the the love of God that passes knowledge. It's the conviction in our heart that says, I know God loves me. And fear is banished. It's a conviction that says, God is for me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Though I don't understand, or as Job would say, though he slay me, yet I'll still love him because I'm convinced. I don't feel like right now God's love, but I'm convinced of God's love. You see how it works? And so it is, as it says, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. This is the power of God, the Spirit of God, that's working these things into our heart. You know why I can preach the way I preach, amen? It's not because of my self-confidence. No, 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 no. No, You should have known me when I was first a Christian. And for many, it's not a self-confidence. It is a God-confidence. And that confidence comes from the power of God, His Spirit that works in our hearts to communicate, to speak, to not only give us the knowledge, as Paul would pray, but through his, be strengthened by his spirit to possess that which is ours. And in verse 21, to him be glory in the church. All the glory belongs to God. Amen.
To him be glory in the church. This church is a reflection of God's glory. Because I tell you what, it reflects nothing else. If we look at each other and we look at our hearts and we look at our lives, it is unclean, filthy. But in Christ Jesus, this church, amen, is reflective of God's glory. Wow. To him be glory in the church. Because this is a testimony to God that he would take wretched sinners like you and me and by his grace he would declare us righteous and holy in his sight. What a joy it is. And that's why I say to you this morning as I conclude this thought, sit, walk, stand. We are seated with Christ. I pray that you would begin to understand something of what it means to be seated this morning. And as we go forward, we're going to look at now walk. Sit, walk and stand. That's the progression. But we conclude now our, our teaching on sitting in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just bless your wonderful name this morning. I thank you, O oh God, for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you, Lord, that the mystery has been revealed. Lord God, that we are in Christ Jesus. God, I, we cannot but just stand in awe of what you have done what you have done for us, what you have done for us as individuals. Lord, you've taken us uh, from uh, being a, uh, a wretched sinner, Lord, to declaring us as saints, separated unto God, an inheritance that is ours in Christ. And I pray, Lord, as I conclude this thought, that you would open the understanding of those that are present and that they, Lord, would possess for themselves individually, these glorious truths. I pray this for your people, that you would receive glory in the church, Lord. Blessed be your name. Amen.